Luke chapter 7, verse 11 to 17. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. This is God's word. Good evening to you. Uh, if we've not met, my name's uh, Matt, Matt Fuller. It's lovely to uh, be here and uh, love to uh, meet you afterwards. We're in this little series then at the moment um, for this month, Honest Questions. We're calling it some of the significant questions of life. So last week we looked at evil, this week at suffering, so it's all light and laugh a minute, uh, and next week is, why are we so mean? Why are we so grim and nasty to one another? So it's all fun stuff. But uh, tonight, how can we live in this world? How do we live in this world when at times it's just so full of pain? How do we do that? Let me lead us in prayer. Almighty God, are we... Recognize this evening that people will be in different places with this question. For some, it's far away. It's sort of abstract. For others, it's very real. It's very raw. It hurts. But Father, wherever we are, meet us, we pray, with your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us understand what an extraordinary difference it makes to know him. Pray in his name. Amen. Well, I guess that must be right, isn't it? We come to an issue of a sort of pain and, and suffering. For some, it's sort of intriguing, philosophical question. Oh, it's, you know, let's talk about that. Uh, and it's a bit out there and, and sort of distant. Uh, for others, if you're in, if the sun has gone out and if you're in the darkness at the moment and there is deep pain in your life, it's hard to talk about. Uh, and in 30 odd minutes, uh, I'm afraid there's a limit to what we can do. Uh, and then many, most, probably, uh, are going to be somewhere in the middle. Uh, not indifferent, not personally going through the mill at the moment, but observing pain in the lives of others. Sometimes it's um, just event-driven, isn't it? You, you, you observe in the, on, the, on the TV, golly, why them? Why has that happened? It could be just people one step removed from you. Maddie will know uh, a family that used to be here, Tina and Aaron Chung, who uh, she's been battling cancer for the last four years and on Friday died, leaving behind her husband, her four-year-old, she in her uh, late 30s. And you think, why? Why them? Why so? Why is that child left without a mum? Why? 
a variety of places in between. And then, of course, sometimes the media just sort of whips it up into a bit of a frenzy because it's a story. You get the sort of um, Stephen Fry incident of earlier this year, remember February 2015, being interviewed, slightly odd interview, but being interviewed uh, and was asked the question, you know, what would you say to God if you met him at the pearly gates um, that don't exist? But anyway, there we go. What would you say to him? Uh, of course, the interview went viral, didn't it? Hundreds of thousands watched it in the UK. Because Stephen, the interviewer got a response he wasn't really expecting. How dare you? Was Stephen Fry's comment to God if he met him at the pearly gates. How dare you? How dare you create a world in which there's such misery which is not our fault? And on it goes. He calls God an utter maniac. He says if there's a God, he's utterly monstrous for creating such a world. Now he puts it strongly. But at some point, most of us get it. Most of us sort of understand that sentiment uh, to some extent. And we ask, why? Why like this? Why have you allowed this? I mean, there's certainly been periods in my life where I said, why, why this? Why have you put my family through this pain? It is absolutely pointless. I can see no gain or no merit from it. Why have, we done, why have you done that? The Bible is full of prayers, particularly the book of Psalms, saying, why? How long? What's the point of this? Why the evil, why the wicked people triumphing and the good people doing badly? Why? How is that right? How is that fair? What are you going to do about it? Why haven't you ended it? But I was not embarrassed to ask this question. Why is the world like this? Now, if in your, whatever it may be, 20, 30 odd years of life, you've managed to personally escape pain, that's extraordinary. Although in the Western world, increasingly common, I guess, you can live to 30, 40 and just know no pain, but it comes... I have to tell you that it comes with sickness or illness or death of a loved one. His family members start to die. Unemployment, long periods. Oh, it comes. You, 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 life can be brilliant for, for much of life, but um, can't go on forever like that. It's in one sense, the, uh, it's a tangent. You know, the cruelty. Remember the advert a few years ago, the billboard advert that went, and went out on buses? There's probably no God, so just get on with your... Stop worrying and get on with your life. Oh, no, sorry, it wasn't right. Stop worrying and enjoy your life. And I just thought that's the, you know, the most ridiculous message. Because life isn't always enjoyable, is it? I mean, at times, it's brilliant. It's fantastic. And you might be in one of those periods you think, oh no, my life is wonderful at the moment. I don't want to hear this. Sorry. But um, there's probably no God. Okay, leave that for a while. So just stop worrying and enjoy your life. Well, what does enjoy your life mean? There's always highs and there's lows. You can't always be in a state of ecstatic joy. You tried it. It's exhausting. What is that? So at some point you have to come to terms with this as an issue. How can we live in a world which is full of pain and suffering? How do we do it? Look, I want to go at it from three headings. I want to talk about the problem of suffering, the purpose of suffering, thirdly, Jesus and suffering. The problem, that's right, the problem of suffering, the purpose of suffering, Jesus and suffering. Let's look at those three. My hope is, I mean, it's a limited hope, just so you know. Uh, I just want to remind you if you're a Christian or try and persuade you if you're not, that in Christianity, you're, Christianity enables you to be more honest, more real than any other way of living. It gives you the resources to cope. It enables you to look life as it really is 
and not just pretend, I'm just going to enjoy life all the way through, because you can't. It doesn't work that way. Christianity is livable, because it's true. Let's have a look. The problem of suffering, then. The problem of the purpose, Jesus. The problem of suffering. Look, suffering is a problem in every worldview. It doesn't matter what it is. Uh, so in Christianity, it's a problem. Uh, in uh, secular worldviews, it's a problem. In the Eastern family of faiths, it's different, but it's a problem. We've got all sorts of issues there as well. I haven't got time to go through them all. Just let me look at two. Christianity and a secular worldview. Okay, just the two. But let's think about it. Christianity, it is a problem, suffering. So Stephen Fry gave, because he puts it so memorably. February this year. Why should I, he asks, respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world that is so full of injustice and pain? Well, I kind of agree with him in that. If God created the world like this, I've got an issue with him. But of course, the Bible says he didn't create the world like this. Not hard to read it in the, in the Bible. Genesis 1 and 2, God created a world and it's good. It's perfect. It's without flaw. It's a wonderful place. But Genesis 3, humans, mankind, say we don't want you. We want control of our own lives. And we break the world. And now it is a problem. So it's not that God created the world to be like this. He created a good world, but it is now the world we live in. Well, that is that is that does make a difference, doesn't it? Uh, in my uh, lifetime, I've lived in one or two ropey houses. Dare I say, particularly when I was a student, uh, living in houses which had no central heating, or in fact, no heating at all. Uh, it got a bit chilly in the winter months. Just went to bed with big hats on. That's, that's the way it rolled. But hey, when you pay twenty-five pounds a week, yes, that's twenty-five pounds a week rent. Those were the days. Although the house was pretty grim, you don't expect much for twenty-five quid a week, uh, even twenty odd years ago. But there were occasions when things just bust. The limited resources in the house bust. The oven collapsed and just wheezed itself to death. And the landlord would turn up and say, because this is how it worked in those days, uh, I went to university in Birmingham, so even though I'm clearly not from Birmingham, the landlord would come and say, come on, brummies, come on, brummies, pay your rent. And uh, we'd say, no. Look, we've told you, fix the, fix the oven, for goodness sake. We're not paying you rent. Fix the oven. And there's no shower. Can you please fix the oven in the shower, and then we'll pay you rent. Oh, you drive a hard bargain. No, not really. It's quite, it's quite, you know, not that hard a bargain. And, uh, okay, he sort of do sort of, uh, sort of perfunctory fixes and then we'd pay him and then they'd break and that's kind of how we lived. And you can slightly complain against your landlord if it's a ramshackle house. But if, if, if uh, as tenants you move into a house which is just magnificent, brand new, everything works, no snags, gleaming, you know, shower, executive shower, jet shower, you know, everything is just terrific about it. Multi-jets, uh, just the whole thing is just a dream of a house. Luxury, luxury, luxury. If you move and you trash it, you can't really complain against the landlord. So the landlord arrives in your mythical house and says, come on, Londoners, uh, time for rent. What would we do? Cockneys, come on, Cockneys, uh, time for your rent. Um, and you say, no, we're not paying. Well, why not? Well, there's no electricity and no gas. Yeah, they've cut you off because you don't pay the bills. Well, there's no water in this house. Yeah, you've... You can't cut you off that, can you? That's illegal. Anyway, the, the gas, electricity, they've cut you off. But there's no, there's no door on the oven. Yeah, do you remember you snapped that off? 
at that point, you can't really complain against the landlord. You've trashed the place. Now, that is a different scenario. And the Bible says God did not create a, a world like this. He created a good world. But we've broken it. Now, that does make a difference. I can't believe in a God who created this world, said Stephen Fry. Now, the Bible never asks you to do that. Because it doesn't cure all the questions or heal them up. I do know that. Because again, classically, here's here's how the question gets asked of the Christian. If God, if there's a God who is just wonderfully loving, and this God is also all-powerful and can do what he wants, there would be no suffering in this world. There would be no pain. But there is. There is pain. There is suffering. So either he's not good or he's not powerful. And that's the problem. That's the problem you've got if you're a Christian. It doesn't get framed in um, those terms very often. It comes personally, doesn't it? The person who says to you, as friends have said to me, my mum died when I was four. I never got to know her. I can't believe in a God who would allow that. Or varieties on that theme. That's a problem. You've got to acknowledge that. Won't leave it there. We'll come back to it. But let's just look at one other worldview, as it were. A, a secular worldview, because suffering's really a problem. If you're an atheist, suffering is a problem. Let me take a stark example. Uh, again, uh, I don't want to pick on one individual, but he's consistent, so therefore very helpful in, in this regard. But Richard Dawkins, uh, about a year ago, wasn't it, caused, a, 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 again, a storm on Twitter. Uh, a woman had tweeted... Um, that she would face a real ethical dilemma if uh, she became pregnant with a baby who had Down syndrome. Richard Dawkins tweeted back, quite simply, abort it and try again. It would be immoral to bring it into the world if you have a choice. <coughs> Cue outrage in the Twitter sphere. You know, how dare you? I have, I've, got a, I've got my own, my own son has got Downs. He's got a wonderful life. My Cue outrage. And, you know, to be fair, there's a certain lack of compassion, let's be honest, uh, in the way he's phrased that and put his response. Let me clarify. So he clarified. To those who took offence because they know and love a person with Down syndrome and thought I was saying their loved one had no right to exist, I have sympathy for this emotional point. But it's an emotional one, not a logical one. In other words... Look, you might not like what I say, but I'm consistent. And if this is a closed universe, then you should abort the child. And I'm sorry, you don't like it, but that's logically what you should do. It's quite hard to live that way. Stephen Fry knows it's hard to live that way. It is an emotional question. It's not just a logical one. We can't really live on those grounds. We're not Vulcans who can live purely logical lives and say, well, Jim, that's, not, that's just an emotional response. We're humans. And deep, hard-wired in us is the, is the sentiment, the feeling, that's not right. I can't just logically say, put, put aside my emotion. I can't do that here. It matters too much. It's not livable. But of course, if in a secular, in a, in a secular universe, in a closed universe like that of Richard Dawkins, you have to say suffering is not a problem. 
He would simply say life is harsh, accept it. Evolution is built on suffering. It's the method, it's the motor, it's inherent to evolution that weaker, destroyed by stronger. You have to have it that way. Suffering is normal in that sort of system. But again, we just can't live that way. Humans think we're different. Do you remember uh, a few years ago, Daniel James? Uh, Daniel James was a very able uh, uh, young rugby player, represented England at uh, schoolboy and then uh, student level, had a career as a rugby player ahead of him. Uh, His third year of engineering at Loughborough, uh, he was uh, playing and in a scrum, the scrum collapsed, uh, his uh, spinal column snapped and uh, he became a quadriplegic. Uh, A year's treatment at Stoke Mandeville didn't help. So he remained a quadriplegic. A couple of years after the original accident, he uh, went to Dignitas, Switzerland, and and took his life. His parents, deeply upset, you know, tearful. I mean, they supported his decision, but of course, how horrible. His parents tearfully issued this. Oh, I remember that they spoke to camera. For Daniel, it was a welcome relief from the prison he felt his body had become and the day-to-day fear and loathing of his living existence. He wasn't prepared to live a second-class life. Now, if this world is all there is, I kind of get his logic. If there's no purpose to suffering at all, uh, I'm not saying I would do the same, and don't mishear me, but I understand his decision, don't you? If you just think the, the, the wheels on the, uh, uh, the, the, the one-armed bandit of, of life have just come up and you, you well, sorry mate, you're just a loser. The wheels have spun and you've lost. You had it all, it's all gone. And he says, I don't want that. That's just second best and there's no meaning. See, a secular view of suffering says there's no point. No meaning to what you're going through. But we just can't live that way. It's inherent to our humanity that we need to find. It's part of humanity to find purpose in suffering. Distinguishes us from the other creatures. So in one sense, you could say, oh, well, if it, it, it just evolution is, is all there is. Uh, uh, um, weak's, weak is uh, killed by strong. Suffering happens. Deal with it. We can't. And that's a problem. Because most people think it's not livable to think that way. That's a problem. So look, suffering's a problem if you're a Christian. Suffering's a problem if you've got a secular worldview. What about purpose? Let's explore more uh, the idea of purpose. Purpose of suffering. What can that be? Why can there be anything useful about it? Well, again, I'd say in, in a secular worldview, in a secular universe, this world is all there is. There's no, pur- there's no point. So you have to avoid suffering at all costs because pleasure is all we've got. So we've only got our four score years and tens. You've just got to maximize it. So you avoid suffering in everything you do. This came home to me very much. I really saw this a couple of, what, a bit more, five years ago, I guess now. Some might remember. There was a young couple here at church and uh, she became pregnant at 20 weeks, went for their scan. And uh, the doctor said, I'm terribly sorry to tell you that there are uh, congenital deformities with uh, the structure of uh, the child 
uh, and you should abort. Why? Why it's very unlikely this child will go to term. Uh, If the child goes to term, it will survive hours outside of the womb. Abort. They said, uh, no, we won't do that. Look, we're Christians. We don't know what God's plan or purpose is in this, but we're going to run with this pregnancy. He was just incredulous. You fools. You are a highly successful, you know, you're affluent couple. You've got everything going for you. Abort and try again. Why would you put yourself through this pain? Why would you put yourself through the emotional trauma when it's going to end badly anyway? Just abort, for goodness sake. No, we won't do that. Sorry. Oh, and uh, so they, they, missed their, they missed the window, I guess. So they went back for successive scans. Twice when they went back for successive scans, the doctor said, golly, you again, I can't believe this baby's still alive. For goodness sake, why didn't you abort when you had the chance? How, what a stress you're putting yourselves through. And on it went, and look, if you know the story, the child was born and Georgia is four and a half years old and she's perfectly healthy and nothing wrong with her at all. Um, that's not the point. The point is, for that doctor, avoid pain at all costs because it can never be good to allow pain in your life. Avoid it at absolutely all costs. Pleasure is all there is. Suffering kills your pleasure. Avoid suffering. Now let me tell you, make the obvious observation, that's a really nice way to live if the sun is shining and your life is just full of pleasure and nothing else. But when life goes wrong... You want a bit more. There's no purpose. No purpose in a secular universe. What about in Christianity? Let's go back to this question. Why? Why would a good God, who's all-powerful, allow suffering and evil in this world? Answer? I don't know. But that doesn't throw me. Just because I don't know, and you don't know, it doesn't mean he can't have a reason and a good one. And we assume we should always know God's purposes, but we're little creatures. We uh, put it this way. Here's a fat book I pulled off my uh, uh, bookshelf. I'd love to tell you I've read every single word. That would be untrue. Uh, because it's 1,100 pages, and look at the size of the font. I think they call that size four or something ridiculous. Absurd book. Um, but imagine, imagine this book is, uh, represents the total sum of knowledge in the whole of the world. Everything that has happened, is happening right now, will happen across the whole globe. It's all represented by 1,100 pages of size, whatever font type. And God knows it all. How many pages do you reckon you know? You're going to go for a page. It's a bit arrogant, I would have thought, to go for a page. How many words? Remember, this is everything. Everything that's ever happened, from the creation of the world to its destruction in every single place. How many letters are you going to go for? Size 4 font, or whatever it is. And sometimes we've just got to recognize, just... God knows everything. We know very little. It really is possible that there's a purpose that we don't get. That's just very realistic to us.
We just don't see it. Or um, let me put it this way. Do you see the imitation game? You know, the film uh, of uh, Alan Turing's life and uh, creation of the uh, Enigma machine. It's sort of vaguely true, the film, isn't it? It sort of kind of gets the most of the contours right. Lots of sort of historical inaccuracies, not to worry. That's the way we make them. Um, uh, but uh, if, you've, if you've seen the film, you, you'll know there's a, there's a part of it that they kind of, they get the machine and Christopher, which wasn't called in real life, it was called the bomb, anyway, not to worry. But uh, they make the machine and the machine is working and it's... You know, it's like a massive Connect Four, isn't it? It's amazing. Um, they get the machine working, and they work out that uh, a German U-boat team is going to attack a British convoy. There's going to be a raid. Uh, but the issue is, on the raid, one of the team, Peter, Peter Hilton, his brother's on the ships that are going to be destroyed. And so, of course, he's shouting vociferously, we must let everyone know, we must let them know, we must let them know there's an attack. And eventually the team say, no, we can't do that. Because we, if we do that, the Nazis will clock that we've broken the code. So we, we need to let them attack and sink the ship with your brother on it. And he's just broken by that. But he kind of gets it. Now that scene did not happen. That's not true in real life. But in real life, if you read the Battle of the Atlantic, there were dozens and dozens and dozens of occasions when Churchill and the ministers had to decide... We could prevent that attack. We're not going to. We'll allow it to take place. We'll allow people to die in order that our secret, the Enigma machine, remains a secret. We can win the war and save thousands upon thousands of lives. Now that's a tough decision you've got to live with if you're Churchill and senior ministers. And if you knew that was going on and your brother has been killed, your spouse has been killed upon a ship in the Atlantic... And you knew that the British government had the resources, the knowledge to stop it. And they didn't. Yeah, how would you feel? Of course you'd feel bitter. Of course you'd feel angry. The fact that they might have a greater purpose, oh, you know, you'd work. But it's tough. And in pain and suffering... Bible is very clear that we can't understand what God's purpose is, but he does have one. There's always meaning. There's always purpose. It's never random. What you're going through matters. Look, Christians don't claim to know all of God's purposes in suffering. But we do have a God who who knows what pain is, who's known pain in Jesus Christ and can heal it. There's a problem for suffering, problem for everyone. There's purpose in suffering. Oh, look, there is. If you're a Christian, you know that. You may not work out what it is, but there is purpose. Lastly, let's turn to Luke 7 and look at Jesus. Jesus and suffering. Let's pick it up. Uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 11. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. Now, here's a scene filled with enormous pathos. She's a widow, lost her husband, and now her only son has died. 
In the culture of the day, funerals take place upon the day of death, or at worst, the next day. Just a culture that you don't want decomposition in the heat, but also just culture, you get it, you get it done. So this is raw. Not even a couple of weeks to adjust a little bit. This is raw in the pain. And Jesus comes along and observes this. A woman who's lost her last loved one, but also culturally just her source of income, her protection. There's no welfare state to look after her now. So she's not only just emotionally miserable, but functionally, practically, she's got all sorts of issues now in her life. And he sees her, verse 13. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. His heart went out to her. Other translations will have, he was filled with compassion. Literally, his entrails churned. It's a visceral term. Jesus looked at her, and he found this scene just gut-wrenching. He's just overwhelmed by it. Can I suggest that really matters? That really matters. Jesus doesn't say, oh, well, you've got a problem abort. He looks and says, looks upon this woman with enormous compassion. Look, if you're a Bible reader, it's the same word as uh, the Good Samaritan in, uh, in Luke 10, comes across the beaten up man, looks upon him with compassion. Same word as in uh, uh, Luke 15, the father sees the prodigal son returning, looks upon him with great compassion. But the important part of it is this. The Bible insists if you're in pain, Jesus finds it gut-wrenching. His entrails churn. He cares. He's not indifferent. He really cares. He hates it when you're in pain. Because he's good and he's loving. What does he do? Verse 14, then he went. Then he went and touched the coffin. There's open coffins in those days. Plank is more like it. Uh, and those carrying it stood still. Well, it's a bit of a shock because if you touch a coffin, touch the plank, you're defiled culturally. You have to go to the temple and offer sacrifices, leave the city. So this is a big sort of social faux pas. But Jesus doesn't really care about etiquette. He doesn't care about defil- defilement. He cares for this woman. He touched it. Those carrying it stood still. And Jesus said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Oh, look, you may well have questions about miracles and how they happen and when they happen and what's going on, etc., etc. Look, that's for another night. But you just notice here the lovely end of verse 15. Okay, the bloke sits up, he begins to talk. Clearly, there's something changed in him. And Jesus gave him back. It's a lovely phrase, isn't it? Take him back now. He restores that family together. Now, of course, you can easily read that, and particularly if you've lost someone you love very much, and say, well, he doesn't do that always, does he? He doesn't bring every family back together. The red tops would be full of it a lot more, wouldn't they? If a broken family, all of a sudden, people pop back to life. We'd hear a lot more about it. He doesn't do it. No, he doesn't. Because he's not walking amongst us now as he was then. But what he does here is a foretaste of what he will do. He will restore all families who trust in him. He will give back 
children to their parents. He will give back parents to their children. He'll do that eventually. Because and he does it through his death and his resurrection. Can I suggest he makes all the difference in the world when you're in the middle of pain and suffering to know that Jesus Christ is the God who suffered too. Makes an enormous difference. That he left heaven and God entered this world in the person of Jesus Christ and he endured our disloyalty. He endured the the rejection by his friends. Uh, He endured a beating, violent torture. He endured a kangaroo court injustice. He endured death by the most horrible way I think humans have yet created, or certainly one of them, crucifixion. He endured all those things. Now that makes a difference. It's not an answer to the question of suffering. It doesn't tell you why you've gone through the mill or why you go through the mill. It doesn't. It's not an answer to the question of suffering, but it does tell you who the God is of this universe. It reveals the heart of a God in Jesus Christ who will die for you. He cares that much. And he will die in order to take you to a place beyond suffering. It doesn't answer all the questions, but golly, it makes a difference to know the heart of who God is. He knows. God knows, not just because he's omniscient and knows everything, but because in Jesus Christ he came. Today is obviously a a Remembrance Sunday. Maybe think of this um, poem Edward Chilito wrote in uh, uh, 1918, not long after the end of the uh, First World War, uh, as a poet trying to make sense of what was going on. The other gods were strong, but thou was weak. They rode, thou didst stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a God has wounds, but thou alone. Do you see what he's saying? Lots of people create gods, and they're all magnificent and sort of powerful and Jesus, you, you, you came and you stumbled to your throne. You stumbled to your death and then to a throne. And we've experienced such extraordinary misery and hardship over the last few years. Not a lot helps us. But to have a God who knows pain, oh, that makes a difference. It makes all the difference in the world to know the heart of Jesus Christ. In your pain, he finds it gut-wrenching. And he knows. And of course, last thing, he died but he rose again. And that is just a foretaste of the resurrection of you and me if we trust in him. To a world where there is no pain and suffering. That's where he wants us to be. The uh, family I mentioned at the beginning, Aaron and Tina Chung, and little four-year-old Lucas. As I say, Tina died on Friday at home, wonderfully, after a four-year struggle against cancer. The last year has been very hard. Aaron wrote this. It's just an edited version of what he wrote. My beautiful wife died in my arms yesterday morning. We're desperately sad, grief-stricken, 
numb with heartache. The house soon filled with family members and close friends. We said goodbye to her earthly body. We held her hand. We touched her radiotherapy-scarred head, hugged, cried, shared a few stories and prayed for one another. We gave thanks for her life. We started to remove all the things that reminded me of her illness, the wheelchair, the walking frame, the toileting aids, the shower stools, her pillboxes, boxes and boxes and boxes of her medication. Today I'm thankful for small mercies. I'm thankful that she died in my arms, that I was there holding her at the end, not a stranger or a nurse. I'm thankful that she didn't suffer too much, nor for a prolonged period, this intense pain. I'm comforted that Lucas was around and saw mummy alive and saw her die, as well as what happened to the body afterwards. I think that's good for him. I'm thankful that more family members could come later that day so he could have fun playing with his cousins instead of watching me cry. I'm thankful for our Christian GP. We've known her for years. She came in on her day off. She's incredibly practical, straight-talking, kind, caring, sensitive, just what you need in that sort of crisis. I'm even more comforted by huge blessings. That for Tina, it is well with her soul. She is now safe in God's arms. And we'll see her again. I don't know where you're at with this as a question. What do you do? How do you live in a world with pain and suffering? The sun may be shining on you, and I hope it is. But it won't always. And sometimes, sometimes it's not just intriguing, the message of Christianity... It's not just life-affirming, doesn't just make life better, it matters. In suffering and in death, oh, it matters. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, again, we recognise that uh, in this room would be people in different places. Uh, Some life is terrific, and that's wonderful. Uh, Others uh, know people in pain and find it hard. Others really going through the mill themselves at the moment, either ongoing or uh, some sense of bereavement. Uh, Father, wherever we're at, would you help us understand more of the wonderful comfort that comes from knowing Jesus Christ because it's true he is the one who knows he is the one who is moved to compassion by our pain in a way we don't understand he's the one who knows the purpose to the pain here and now he has endured suffering so that we might go through death and would take us to be with him if we trust in him Father would we lean more on him would we know more of his comfort wherever we're at this evening we pray in jesus name amen